Well, as has been mentioned, we are studying the Jesus passages, the passage of scriptures that relate to the life of Christ as found in the four Gospels. And as we read the uh, information in each one of the Bible readings, we're also uh, trying to preach along at the same mode. And today we come in the Jesus passages to a very familiar passage, a very wonderful story in Luke chapter 10. And we call it the the story of the Good Samaritan. It's really a parable. It's a story that Jesus gives to make a point. Jesus was a great storyteller. He probably would take some of our didactic style of education uh, and uh, change it to story. But Jesus told stories, and he told the stories to make a point. In a minute, we're going to look at this look at this passage, and the passage begins, the story begins with a question that a teacher of the law comes to Jesus, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a pretty fundamental question. Everybody wants to know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, of a, of a priest, a Levite, who see a man in need, who's been beat up by robbers, and walk, and they pass on the other side. And then a Samaritan, a cultural man, comes and ministers to him, a man who's culturally different. And Jesus asked this question. And look at what the, your text says in, in verse uh, uh, 26 and 27. It's, 36 and 37, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now that's amazing. Jesus is asked a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he turns around and tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Two men who didn't get it and one man who got it. The two men who didn't get it were the ones who knew the the scriptures, the priest and the Levite. The man who did get it was the man who is culturally different than the man who probably was in need. Now, is Jesus teaching us that we have to know God by good works? Hmm? Is that what he says, that we inherit by good works? No. I think what we're going to discover in this passage, that the faith, the love that we have for God, the love that he wants us then to show to other people, that faith demonstrates itself by being a good Samaritan. And we reveal on the outside the reality of the inside, that God's grace has touched us, that we are committed followers of Jesus Christ. We want to love him and obey him and trust him, but we reveal that in the way we obey him on the outside. Now, you've often heard the phrase, be there. Have you heard that phrase, I will be there for you? And this morning, I think the moral of the story of the Good Samaritan is for you and for me to be there. If you think about that, what does be refer to? What kind of person I am? Who am I? Hmm? Am I a man who cares for other people? Am I a man who's willing to see the need of another person, roll up my sleeves and go to work? What kind of person am I? So when we talk about being, we talk about a person who has received God's grace of forgiveness We've acknowledged our sinfulness. We've, we've recognized that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died to take our place. And we ask him to change who we are on the inside so that we can be what God wants us to be. But we need to be where? There. <laughs> where is the there? Today I'm not in Somalia. I cannot physically feed the hungry. I cannot take care of those who are being persecuted in some of the countries around the world. I'm not there. But where am I? I am there where God has placed me today. And today I want you to ask yourself, who am I? Am I willing to be the man, the woman, the young person that God wants me to be? 
And am I willing to do it there where God has placed me? So as we learn from the story of the Good Samaritan, let's ask ourselves, am I willing to be there? If you have your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. This is one of, I think, the all-time favorite stories that Jesus gave. And, and I would like for us to look at it in two perspectives. One, what does it mean to be? And then secondly, where is the there that God has for us? And if you look at the text, there really are two stances that he's going to present to us. A stance of living that tends to be human, and then it's a stance of, for living that comes from God. And if you look, our story begins with us down in verse 25, where we read this, that on one occasion an expert in the law stood to test Jesus. It's interesting. He's going to quiz Jesus. He's going to give Jesus a test and try to embarrass Jesus, make himself look good in front of other people. He's going to basically say, I have information. I know stuff that even Jesus doesn't know, right? And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus responds with a question. He says, now Jesus has given this man a test. <laughs> you see how he flips it? Gives him a test. He says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read the law of Moses? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he went to passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6 and others where he basically said, this is what God wants us is love God with everything that we have. And then to turn around and to love others as we love ourselves. It's interesting. How do we love? We all say, yeah, I love God. Uh, but how do we love others as we love ourselves? Hmm? What's that mean? It means that I would treat you in the same way I'd want to be treated. I would love you to the same extent that I would love myself. I would take care of your needs and feather your f- nest just as I would want to take care of my needs and feather my nest. It's not just that I love you. Have you ever had somebody spit in your face and say, but, I, but you know, I do love you? No, they don't. Because they would not want to be treated in the same way that they have just treated you. You see how that works? And he says, the Old Testament law, Jesus said, all the law and the prophets could be hung on those two commands, that you love God with everything you've got, and secondly, that you love other people as you love yourselves. And so Jesus responds to the man. He says, you've answered correctly in verse uh, 28. Do this, do this, and you will live. Because if you're loving God and you're loving other people better than you treat yourself, then you're showing that you really honor God. You have God in your heart. You have really decided to live for God if you have that lifestyle. Do this, he says, and you will live. But look at the response of the man. But he wanted to do what? The NIV says he wanted to justify himself. See, he wanted to make himself look good. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So who is my neighbor? Who is this person that if I want to love God, I love God, and I can handle loving God. But loving people, (laughs) that's pretty tough. (laughs) That is where the rub is. My world is full of jerks, Hmm? you know. And, I mean, the world is out there. There are people that will disappoint you. There's not one human being that won't hurt you, that won't disappoint you. Unfortunately, no one can meet the standards that we have for them. And they will all disappoint us. And so this man says, I want to love God, but now you tell me I love others. Okay, who is my neighbor? (laughs) Who is it out there that I have to love? And you know, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, had certain people that they honored and certain people they did not honor. 
Why was Jesus criticized in Luke 15? Because he sits down with whom? Tax collectors and sinners. People who were supporting Rome with taxes or people who did not know the law as well as they knew the law of Moses. And, I, you know, as you look at this, the human stance is to say, okay, who's on my list that I need to be nice to? Because on my list, there are people I'm not going to be nice to, <laughs> right? There are people that I don't want to particularly care for. Last week, we looked at the blind man. Remember the neighbors said, is this the man? Is this not the man? Because they didn't know him well enough. They gave him a token gift, but they really didn't care for him. He was not on their list of people that they had to be nice to. And the human stance to being a neighbor is, I will love you and I will pray for the people in this room right here. But the people out there, people I don't like, people who aren't on my list, I don't have to love them. But my friends, that's the stance that comes from a human perspective. That is not the stance that comes from a God perspective. What is the God perspective? Well, that's the God stance is, is he flips the question. Look at verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. How many of you have been to Israel before? Anyone ever been to Israel? Okay. Have you ever been on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho? You probably have. It's the most desolate part of the tour that you take. We were there one time in Jericho, going to Jericho when the Secretary of State was there. And so they're having some kind of festivity and signing of a, one of these many failed peace treaties. And so we had to detour and take this, this long road around Jericho to get back, back to Jerusalem where we were staying. And it was, it was just a desolate, for, in fact, it was sad. It was just a very difficult situation uh, for us on the bus because it was a long trip. And you can see where people, if you get caught with a den of robbers out there, I mean, there's nowhere to turn. You are just stuck. And so Jesus is saying, we all know this desolate road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he said he fell into the hands of robbers. And look what they did. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. And they went away, leaving him half dead. So Jesus, a good storyteller, uses threes, okay? The classic story. There are three, three guys that respond. He says the first one is a priest. He happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man... What did he do? He passed by on the other side. Now, of course, Jesus, being the storyteller, says you would expect a priest, the guy who sacrifices the animals, the guy who does the right stuff. I mean, he knows the scriptures. He's the guy that should be wanting to help this man. But no, he passes by on the other side. The second person is in verse 32. So too a Levite. Now, what's a Levite? A Levite was not the guy who did the sacrifice, but he would assist the priest in the functions of the temple or the synagogue. And when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So here, the priest and the Levite, the two people you'd expect to help him, do not. But, here's the third character, verse 35, but a Samaritan. Now, who are the Samaritans? The Samaritans were half-breeds. When Israel was invaded by the Assyrians in the first major captivity... The Assyrians tried to water down the race. And so what they did is they moved some of their people into Israel, and they took some of the Israelites and moved them out. And the half-breeds of this intermarrying became known as Samaritans. And so they worshiped on this mountain. Remember the woman at the well? Some of you worship on this mountain. We worship on this mountain because they had a form. They honored God and Abraham, you know, supposedly, but the Jews thought they had a different God. And so here, they were, they did not like each other. There's a real competition. In fact, they detested each other. But the Samaritan, who probably, 
you know, on record as detesting this poor man. When he came where the man was and he saw him, what? how is his response different? It says he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And when he put... The, and, and he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Boy, I'd love to have a friend like that, wouldn't you? Jesus then turns to the teacher of the law and says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. You see how Jesus flipped his question? The man asked, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I basically have to be nice to? And Jesus says, that's not the issue. The issue is not who is my neighbor. The issue is, am I a neighbor? Which one of these three men was a neighbor to that man? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus said, go and do likewise. What was Jesus telling that man to do? Is to be there. To be there. You never know what a day holds. You never know what kind of person God is going to place in your life that's a needy person. And the question is, am I willing to be the person that God wants me to be there in that situation with that, with that person. Hmm? Now, I think all of us would say amen to a passage like this, right? But it's hard to leave church and to be there. I remember we were on a mission trip to Guatemala, and after we'd work our backsides off during the daytime, and we'd sweat and did, did stuff I didn't even do at home, we would sometimes go out and visit churches and people would give, we'd have different lay people in our church give a testimony and we had a great time. And one night we were talking there and we were talking, how do we take the energy we have for ministry, for serving God and do it when we get home? And we had a great concern for these Spanish speaking people. But when we went home, how do we keep that alive when we go home? Because we found that we would do it when we paid a thousand dollars to go to Guatemala. But we didn't do it when it was free at home. How did we change ourselves from seeing them as neighbors to flip that and say, I am a neighbor? Am I willing to be a neighbor in every situation to everyone I meet? When Susie and I left college to go to seminary, got a phone call from a very famous author at that time named Joe Aldrich. Joe was graduating from Dallas Seminary with his doctorate, and he wrote a book called Lifestyle Evangelism. And Joe practiced what he preached. We moved in this apartment that he had, and he uh, had to, we had to take care of the grounds a little bit for the owners, two Jewish gentlemen. And uh, one day as we were unloading the uh, trailer, moving in, this lady next door came up to us and she said, uh, uh, you know, who are you? I said, I'm Ron, Ron Gannett, my wife Susie, and we're moving in, we're taking Joe's place. And she says, yeah, I know Joe. Joe, I had to mow the grounds in the apartment building, the grass here. But the apartment doesn't have a lawnmower, so he would come over and get my lawnmower. He would mow my grass, then he'd mow his grass. I said, I'm starting to figure this thing out, you know. And that was that one day mowing the grass, and a lady next door to us came out and met me at the hedge. And she'd been in the hospital several times, and Joe and his wife would go visit her in the hospital and take care of her cat while she was in the hospital. 
One day, Susan and I were sitting on the front stoop, and there was a lady and sat in a wheelchair on, a, on the porch across the street, and she beckoned to me. I went over there to see her, and Joe Aldrich and his dear wife used to go to the little Piggly Wiggly grocery store and buy groceries to this lady who couldn't get out by her own. Joe developed a ministry in his neighborhood, a Bible study. When he graduated, there were so many people who trusted Christ that he had a little party, a Matthew type of party, and had Dr. Howard Hendricks come speak at it, and a room full of people whose lives were, were changed just because they were neighbors of Joe Aldridge. The question is not who is my neighbor, the question is, am I a neighbor? Am I willing to be the woman, the man that God wants me to be there, wherever that there is in my life on a regular basis? Isn't that a great story? Isn't that a great story? So I asked myself, if I want to be there, what are some tests that I could make, take for myself? What keeps me from doing that? Well, there are several tests. I've listed them for you in your bulletin outline. I think one test I could ask myself is, is like this man, do I justify myself with knowledge? Look at verse 29. It says, but when he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What did he start out doing? He started out trying to test Jesus with a theological question. How do I inherit eternal life? He knew the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and love others as yourself. He knew the answer. And then Jesus says, okay, go out and practice that. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will be demonstrating the reality of your heart. But see, there's a gap between knowledge and practice. There's a big gap there. We were talking about this in our men's Bible prayer meeting this morning. We were talking about the scriptures, about how, you know, knowledge puffs up and how even the people that knew the scriptures, they searched the scriptures, but they they missed Jesus. They didn't know Jesus in the scriptures. And I think the reason they missed him is because Jesus came meeting human needs. And their approach to the scripture was academic, but their approach to the scripture was not practice. And if they had practiced the scriptures... If they were not just hearers but doers, then when they saw Jesus, they'd recognize, here's the ultimate doer of the word. He is doing exactly what God had called him to do. Would the priest and the Levite know what to do? You would think so. They're paid to be religious. The rest of us are good for nothing, right? I mean, you would think that they would know what to do. But yet they did not because their knowledge became a substitute. Knowledge became a substitute for doing it, for being there. You know, we live in a world where we are overwhelmed with, with knowledge. You can go to a Christian bookstore, you can buy a dozen books on any topic. If you got a problem, we got a book for you. You need a Bible, it's hard picking out a translation. So many translations, so many study Bibles. We, have, we are overwhelmed with knowledge. But the knowledge has become a substitute for being there, for doing what God has called us to do. When the great evangelist, one of the forerunners of Billy Graham, was criticized for being too vivacious and too uh, dramatic in his uh, evangelistic appeals, 
he was one of his critics came to him and he said, well, you know, sir, I think I like the inferior way I do it than the superior way you don't do it. <laughs> He's saying, I may be doing it wrong, but I'm doing it. <laughs> I am trying to be there in my generation. My friends, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must know the scriptures. But Jesus said, don't just be a hearer, be a doer of what God's word has to say. Knowledge, too much knowledge, can make us arrogant and puff us up. And we fail to do what God calls us to do. So I have to ask, do I justify myself with knowledge? Secondly, am I prejudiced or selective? It's amazing that in this story, Jesus says, but a Samaritan came by. (laughs) It wasn't just a third old good guy. But a Samaritan, a half-breed, somebody that the Jews and the Samaritan, that was an enemy of the, of the Jews, someone that they would disdain. And Jesus, I think, is trying to make a point. You know, it's easy to be selective. I can be friends with you and like you and minister to you because we're buddies. But people that are outside that realm of friendship or, or acceptance by me, can I really love them? Can I really love them? Am I really willing to be a neighbor to them? I've had to deal with a very vile man in recent weeks. Very vile. One of, the, one of the most vile people I've ever met in my life. And I felt like saying to him one time, if I ever chance, Sir, if you've ever questioned why God created a hell, just go look in the mirror. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to say to him. That's what, I, in my flesh, I wanted to say to him. <laughs> but after our exposure to him, I found myself praying for him in the car. Saying, God, you took Saul of Tarsus, who persecuted people, and you turned him around. And he believed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, you need to turn this man around as well. Because it's so easy for me to be not racist. Some of us can be racist. But I don't think that's a common problem in a group like ours. I think the real problem is being selective and the kind of people I'm willing to love. I think a third test is, do I tolerate people interruptions well? I mean, I love it. He says here, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he took pity on him. He saw him, and he took pity on him. Where was this guy going? We don't know. He was traveling. He's either going to Jerusalem or Jericho, but he was traveling. When you're on a trip, do you have time for an interruption like this? I mean, you get the car packed, you're ready to go, you got a destination, you got a timetable, you got a schedule. Man, kids, run in, go to the bathroom, room, fill up with gas, let's get this thing over with, because we're going, we're on a schedule. And yet, here this man was willing to look at this interruption in his life of a person and to stop, take pity on him, and to care for this man's needs. When can a crisis happen in a person's life, huh? Is there a schedule to crises? Is there a plan to crises? Can you say that uh, I'm going to have this heart attack on a certain date? <laughs> you never know when that day is going to come. You never know what a day holds. You never know what a day is going to hold in the life of someone else. But the issue is, am I the kind of person that tolerates the interruption the hurt of another person can have upon my life? And the Samaritan who's willing to tolerate people 
interruptions. Henry Nouwen's a famous Catholic uh, writer, and he's with the Lord now. But he, uh, he taught at the University of Notre Dame. And one day he was walking across the campus, and he was just overwhelmed by not by getting behind, not getting things done. And he met an old seasoned professor walking the other way, and he says, Henry, what's happening? He says, I am just, I, I am so overwhelmed. Everybody wants my time. Everybody needs me to do something. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just constantly being interrupted. And I said, the old professor turned to him and says, Henry, I've discovered that interruptions are my ministry. <laughs> And my friends, when a person is in need, that's the greatest opportunity we have to take the love of God and to walk through that door and to minister and to bless them in their hour of need. We have some dear friends in Atlanta that are moving, but uh, they have tried to be a testimony for Christ. They've Every year they adopt an international student. They go downtown Atlanta, whatever the organization is, and they adopt someone. These are Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, anybody from around the world. They adopt these people for a year. They come to their birthday parties, to their Christmases, to their Thanksgivings. They invite them to go to church. Some will, some won't. But they show the love of Christ to these international students. And then the neighborhood. They reach out to the neighborhood. They try to make friends with people. They made friends with a with a, an ambassador at the... Uh, at the uh, at the consulate in Atlanta from one of the South American countries. And they invited them to come down to attend a certain event in their life. And when they got down there, they said, you're the only person in our neighborhood that reached out to us. You're the only person. And I commended my friends. I said, you know, when you leave Atlanta, they're trying to sell their house right now. You might pray for Ed and Jenny that they will sell their house. They're trying to move to be with their family and retire. And I said, when you leave, you should have a Matthew party, invite all the people you've tried to influence with the gospel, and have a big celebration. And once again, tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And I said, I commend you folks for what you have done in your neighborhood. And Jenny turned to me and said something I'll never forget. She said, Ron, it's been hard work. It's been hard work. And I thought there's probably many moments where they've reached out to someone not been appreciated. They've done an act of grace. It's not been reciprocated. They've demonstrated love and maybe gotten callousness in return. But my friends, the, every day, if you look around you, there are people that God has placed in your path. And that interruption is not from a person. That interruption is really from God. And then I think a fourth little test is, do I care enough to sacrifice and to sacrifice generously? Look at this man in verse 34. The text says that he took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. This is sort of the medicine that they would have at that day. He, he put the man on his own donkey. So now the guy was, you know, instead of his riding, now this guy got to ride. And he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. So the care continues. The next day, he pulls out two silver coins, gives them to the innkeeper, and he says, look, you take care of this man, and when I return, I'm going to guarantee it. I will pay you for what you have spent to take care of this man. Is that loving people better than you love yourself? Hmm? That is loving people as you love yourself, even doing it better. 
Susan and I experienced this when we were a young couple. We Our car broke down in Kentucky. And a couple that lived in a house on concrete blocks took us in. On that New Year's Eve, we spent the night with them waiting for her dad to come to tow our car back to Dallas, Texas, where we were students. This man had tried to commit suicide that year. Their marriage was on the rocks. She worked as a maid cleaning other people's houses during the daytime. They took us in, total strangers. At nighttime, they slept on the couch so that Susie's parents and we could have a bed. The next morning, I got some money that my dad had wired to me. I was broke. (laughs) And I tried to give this man $100. He refused to take it. You know, I thought to myself, total stranger lying on the road, and he treated me better than he treated himself. My friends, we don't work our way to heaven. We just demonstrate through our works that we love God. We recognize that Jesus did this for us by dying on the cross. And we want to reveal it to everyone. We meet because by His grace we want to be there for them. Well, I ask myself, how do I do this? How do I do this? Well, in the back of your bulletin, I've I've given you three suggestions as we go. I call this being there. How can I take the parable of the Good Samaritan and really make it mine? I would suggest three things. I say number one is every day, every day, every day, look. (laughs) Because there is a human need lying in your path. There is a man who has been beaten up and left by people, robbers, in your path. The robber might be a friend. The robber might be a a family member. The robber might be an employer. (laughs) You follow me? But there is someone who's been beaten up and they're lying in your path. Every day just look. Because every day there is someone under your nose. Every day. And every day open your eyes and look for those situations. We had to help a neighbor with a family crisis. We didn't have to. We wanted to help a neighbor with a family crisis this last week. And as I was preparing this message, I thought to myself, you don't have to go very far to be a neighbor. They're right there. Over the last 12 months, Susie and I have been blessed to participate in the lives of people that we didn't know five years ago. We had a, uh, last summer, we married a couple in our neighborhood. A couple months ago, I got to go to the home of a of a father of one of our neighbors who was dying of a brain tumor and to walk into his home a couple blocks away from here and to pray with this man before he died. We got invited by another neighbor to come to a hot, to the wedding of their child. We also had the opportunity to, uh, we're right now helping a lady across the street who's 46 years old. She's in hospice care and she's going to leave a little three-year-old any day now. And then this, just this past week, uh, a family's going through a severe family crisis. And they called upon us to go to the hospital with them to help them. Five years ago, we didn't know these folks. But I find if you're willing to make a statement that I'm willing to be there for you, the day will come when they will want you. They will want you to be there for them. And my friends, I think we have to change our eyesight and look at people as creations of God. 
Some know him and some don't know him. And to demonstrate in word and deed the love of Jesus Christ so they come to know and appreciate him as well. I was reading my Bible reading this past week where King David, where David was being pursued by King Saul. And he goes into the camp where Saul is sleeping. And Saul and his generals are there all sound asleep. And a deep sleep, we're told, that God placed them under. And his friend says, David, you've been delivered. Your enemy has been delivered in your hands. Take his life. I'll put a sword through him right now. And we'll only take one blow. And David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He said, but grab his spear and grab his jug of water. And they went to the other side of the valley. And David yelled and woke him up. He said, General Abner, where have you failed in taking care of the king? Where is his spear and where is his jug of water? Here they are. And Saul came out. A man who's trying to kill David says, David, I have sinned against you. I have sinned. You are a better man than I am. I will stop. I have erred greatly. I will stop pursuing you. But not only was King Saul taken back by the righteousness of David, by the generosity of David, but later Abner became his general. My friends, when we look and we look for the people in the road that are beside us and we go beyond ourselves to bless them, it's a witness to those people. But it's also a witness to the people that are watching that person and who are watching us. Just look. Just look. Because they are there. Not only everyday look, but secondly, every day, do something. Every day, do something. I find it's like the priest and Levite. It's so much easier to walk by on the other side of the road, isn't it? Huh? Isn't it? It's so much easier to look and to think, well, you know, I, I, I know what should be done here. Here's what people should do in that situation. Or it's easy to evaluate what somebody else is doing. It's even easier to be critical of what is going on. But as soon as you see someone in need, stop and do something. Do it. It's like the depressed woman in my neighborhood who walked by and we were unloading the car in a bitterly cold day and she's walking by and I said, Maria, how you doing? And she starts crying. She says, I'm depressed. And there in my parking lot, we had a little bit of a prayer meeting. Me and this lady. <laughs> and that afternoon, I took some books over, Christian books on depression. Because when God shows somebody in your path, what's the response? You've got to do something. And then lastly, I would say everyday care. Everyday care. You say, Ron, well, you just said that in looking and doing. What do you mean by caring? Well, how this story begin in verse 27? How does someone inherit eternal life? He says, by loving the Lord your God with everything you've got and by loving other people as you love yourself. You know, my care for the person God places in my path is more than care for them. It really is care for God. I am showing the Lord that I love him, and that is how I do it. And by the way, I love you. 
I'm telling God how much I love him. So what's the point of the story? Be there. (laughs) Be the person that God has transformed you to be by his grace and to be there and to do what Jesus Christ has done for you. Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He was the righteous Son of God. He, he was willing to be everything that God wanted Him to be. But He's willing to do it there on the cross, the vile cross for you and for me. And God simply has called us to be there for others. You know, I read an article once about how newspaper editors and magazine editors can't use phrases like the Good Samaritan anymore or the prodigal because people are so biblically illiterate they don't know what the editor means. So if they were to say this person was a Good Samaritan or this person was a prodigal, they can't use it because people don't know the Scriptures anymore. But the other thing I thought when I read that is that we've lost the genius of being a Good Samaritan. We've got all our needs met. We've cocooned ourselves into nice homes. And we've built these walls around ourselves from other people. And yet, we're not only forgotten the story, we have forgotten to practice the story. I remember a story I read once about Thomas Jefferson, the third president of the United States, and a group of soldiers, and they were going across a river. And as they were walking across the river on their horses, they're a group of people begging others for a ride so they wouldn't get wet as they walked across the river. One of the men there turned to the president and said, Sir, would, can I ride on your horse across the river? And, of course, Thomas Jefferson lifted the man up and took him across on dry ground. And afterwards, his buddies turned to him and said, You know, of all the people, why would you ask the president of the United States? <laughs> he said, I looked at all the faces of the people there, and his was the only face that said yes. This week, you're going to leave church. You're going to be walking to wherever you go to school or wherever you work or your neighborhood. And you're going to see someone along the side of the road who's been beaten up. And you can show the God of heaven and you can show the world that you love him because you're willing to be there for that person. Let's pray. Our Father, we're able to come into your presence today and to worship you in song, to learn your scriptures, and to even practice your scriptures, only because you are willing to send your Son to be there for us. Lord, help us to know you, but Lord, more than that, help us to obey you by showing the world our love for you, our devotion for you, by the way we're devoted to them. Open our eyes this week to see the people in need and enable us, Lord, by your grace to be there for them. Oh, Father, I pray that the bells of heaven might ring for joy this week because people are blessed in your name through our faithful service to you. Oh, God, take this old story. And just just massage it into the hearts of our lives so that we truly practice what we preach. 
Oh, Father, we pray this in the name of Christ who died for us. Amen.